Pass to Garrett Green, and Green's going to wind up and throw it back the other way. It's caught at the 10. It's a touchdown. USC! Garrett Green, a former high school quarterback, throws to Desmond Reed, the senior. And the Trojans are on the board with a little razzle-dazzle. It's 13 to nothing. How do you do? USC fans, it's time to get into the game with the Peristyle Podcast. Every week you can get your Trojan football fix as the uscfootball.com staff brings you the latest on the USC football team and the inside scoop on recruiting. And now, here are your hosts of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and the coach, Harvey High. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, joined again by Harvey Hyde. How's it going, Coach? Hey, I'm always doing good, buddy. I'm ready to go talk a little football, huh? Yeah, so this is episode four of the podcast. And uh, as always, you can find us on uscfootball.com. Or if you have iTunes, you want to download the podcast to your iPod, just do a search for USC or Peristyle Podcast from the iTunes store, and you can find us. And uh, last week, we talked about some of the positions on offense with the coach and uh, one we left off is the offensive line. So maybe we should uh, start off with some of the big guys. They have to replace four starters on the line. Yeah. You know, Ryan, this is really going to be a big challenge for the USC offense because the key of any offense is the offensive line. I think they have great athletes playing on the offensive line. And then fortunately, and I mean, just because Sam Baker and some of the others got hurt last year, some of the younger players, got a lot of experience they certainly demonstrated that they can play I yeah think there's a few this, guys that have starting experience just because of the guys that were out you know you're exactly right ryan and uh, and uh you know I, I think that will help this team as far as bringing in a new starting group a combination of players that are going to have to work together well early because of the two opening games they're not easy football games and when you play like virginia have virginia you can't be jumping off sides with the noise and so on you can't be beating yourself you've got to get the rhythm of the quarterback and learn his cadence and so on have confidence in him and confidence in the guy next to you and being able to get a feel of looking at him and recognizing defenses and going through blocks and so on but really not talking to each other or communicating with each other but recognizing what you have to do so I think it's going to be important that this spring at USC, the offensive line really molds together because at USC and uh, uh, Ohio State, the second game of the year, is going to be a real battle, and that game is going to be won in the trenches. As you know, Ohio State has played great defense over the last couple of years, and again, they should have another great uh, defensive football team and, and some great defensive linemen. So the, these uh, offensive young players – are going to really be challenged uh, on the offensive line. And I think what they have to do is find a combination of who fits in well, yet uh, I think they have to look at some of the new players coming in. But as I mentioned earlier, I don't think a lot of the young players, the young offensive linemen will fit in and start early in the year or play much early in the year because of the stiff competition that the Trojans have in the early part of this season. So I think that the players that they have on campus in the offensive line can, can be a real solid, great offensive line because I really think they did played, they really played well. But in the spring, they're going to have to decide who their top six or seven guys are, rotate them around, teach them different positions. So if someone gets hurt, they can move someone over, as they did last year with Jeff Byers when he had to play center a little bit and so on. But I thought Butch Lewis last year uh, filling up in for Sam Baker, I, I really thought he played well. I really did. Uh, uh, he, he blocked well. He's a big guy. He's got quick feet. So I think, you know, he won't replace Sam Baker early, but he has potential of being a good football player, and I think he'll do that. Jeff Byers, well, what can we say? He should get better every year returning after starting uh, this past year. He's the veteran leader now, yeah. He, he's the guy. He's the guy, and he's got to lead this team. So, you know, you've got uh, Lewis and, and, and Byers, and then at center, you you know, two years ago, the top offensive lineman in the country uh, at center, O'Dowd, will be coming back. And if you remember, he got a couple of starts this last year. and played he did, a lot coach. of football. And so When you talked about communication, that was one thing that I, I talked in the locker room with some of the guys at the Nebraska game 
O'Dowd had to go in there and play. And, you know, people talked about the communication. You know, he was a true freshman playing in that game. What kind of goes on? You don't really think about communication when you're talking about the offensive line. What do they have to communicate, especially at the center position? And something O'Dowd did really well, apparently, in that game. Well, what you have to do is you have to be able to make the calls, recognize the strong side from the weak side, be able to uh, know uh, by line by alignments of the defense on what possibly uh, could happen as far as this is a defense or a front that they like to stunt from, or you've got to be careful of a cross charge. You're more or less in the middle. See, you've got to make the calls in the middle of the line, but the right tackle can't make the call, or the left guard can't make the call, because they can't hear the call across the line of scrimmage. So you odd, you you'd usually come out and you say odd, 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 strong right, or you come out and you say even, 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 strong left, strong left, or you make different calls to sort of communicate between your both sides of the offensive line. So it has to be the center in most of the cases because he's the one that has the best view of everything that's going on. And, of course, uh, the quarterback is behind the center, so he's listening to the center making his calls, and then he can start his audibleizing and so on after they've made their communication of what's going on. And then sometimes after he audibleizes or makes a call on the line of scrimmage to quarterback, then again that center has to come back and make calls if necessary so that they all communicate and someone doesn't run through the line of scrimmage, you know, unblocked. So it's really important that uh, they get this combination and this feeling together and they work a lot together this spring. You know, and Thomas Herring, I think, is an outstanding player. I think he's going to probably start. I would assume he would be moved to right guard. I'm just assuming this. I'm not saying he would because you want to get your most experienced players on the field, and he got some playing this past year. Also, I think Charles Brown will probably take Rakovich's place, Radovich's place at the strong side, and Charles is a big, fast, young player. So I think they've got great talent in the offensive line, and they have more experience than what you might think because these players all played last year. Not a lot, but they played. And as sophomores playing or redshirt freshmen playing, that really does bring a lot to the offensive line. You know, you look at the offensive line this year, and, you know, the senior guy is Jeff Byers. It's yeah. a senior, one senior, just one senior on the whole offensive line. Yet they're going to go against Virginia early in the year and Ohio State's defense the second game of the year. So if that offensive line isn't playing great football or up to their potential, it doesn't make any difference what the running backs or the quarterbacks or the receivers are doing. But they've got to block those defensive fronts. Yeah, you're you're right, and I think there's so much young talent there w- with experience. And the funniest the funniest guy probably is Chris O'Dowd, who's going to come in as a redshirt freshman, but still has three starts under his belt. And he started in at Nebraska. And when we were talking about the communication, sometimes they had to do communication between the linemen with hand signals. So he came in and did an amazing job right away. So I don't think USC is going to miss much of a beat with him at the center position. And like you talked about, there's going to move some guys around and see who fits out where, and it's going to be an interesting spring on the offensive line. So let's no, it really is. Yeah, it is yeah. going to be. And I think it's going to be great watching these kids mature and who's playing where. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, that's, that's it for the offense. And uh, let's look on the defensive line. The other big guys on, uh, you know, you got to replace a few, few big names, Cedric Ellis, Lawrence Jackson, uh, you know, Philly Moala is coming back and he's, you know, a potential superstar there. And you have a couple defensive ends, Everson Griffin and Kyle Moore that, you know, really showed flashes of brilliance. Uh, Griffin had that one game where he had three sacks. What do you think about the guys coming back on the defensive line? Well, first of all, you're not going to replace Cedric Ellis, okay? You, everybody says, well, we got to have another Cedric Ellis. Well, they don't come along often, okay? Quick, strong, leader, senior, the whole thing. So what you do, what you try to do is you don't try to just replace Cedric Ellis. You try to get your four best defensive players on the field. And uh, you mentioned uh, a young man, Mo, Mo, I can't pronounce his name, Philly. Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you what, it's time for him now to be a leader. He's going to be a senior this next year. He's played a lot of football. He's big, he's strong, he's made big plays, and uh, he loves the game. So it isn't like he lacks experience. So I would pencil him in as a starter and a leader. Cedric Ellis, I'm not sure what you do there. Yeah, I don't believe that the freshman, any freshman coming in, is going to fill the spots. I think it's going to be, uh, I mean, they have Casey, they have others that are coming in, but they're not going to fill the inside tackle spots. The inside tackles have got to have push. 
if you don't have push inside and if you can't slip a gap and free up or, or, or get penetration, you're not getting it done. And I don't think the experience and the, and the freshman coming in can step in and stop Virginia and stop Ohio State and stop some of these teams early. So I think in the spring what they're going to be doing with the defensive line, and I really believe Nick Holden, the defensive coaches, and Coach Carroll, is they've got to find their four best combination players to run their defense. I'll tell you, they've got to do that. That even might be, and you won't believe this, that might even be putting Griffin inside. He's big. He's strong. Bulk, bulk him up. If you were to bulk him up to, to 275 the way he runs and put him on a guard, he might be unstoppable. Yeah, Unstoppable. People have, people have talked about that, moving him around a little bit. That would definitely be a possibility. The other guy, we actually had a story up him about him up on the site today, uh, Avril Spicer, um, you know, when Mike Patterson came in, no one really thought anyone could replace him, and then Cedric Ellis did. And, you know, some people think Spicer might be able to come in and not not replace everything that Cedric Ellis did, but kind of grow into the type of player that can, you know, get quick off the line and, and shoot those gaps and, and disrupt things in the middle of, the you know, the opponent's offense. Well, I'll tell you, someone's got to do it, and Spicer's got that opportunity. It's a sophomore. He's going to be, what, a junior next year, and uh, he should step up and be able to do that. But I'm just talking about finding your four best, finding a combination that works well together, penetration, push, quickness on the outside. Griffin is, was great on the outside, but at times when I watched Griffin on the outside, he, he sort of played wild. He sort of played out of control. Not that he wasn't young, but he has great talent. And I can just see him going inside and the mismatches that he would put if he decided that he wanted to be a tuck or if he wanted to be a guy like the Giants guy inside with his height and his speed, the offensive line, I mean, wow, you'd have a tough time blocking him. So I'm just saying that's a thought. I'm not saying SC's even thinking of doing that. I'm just saying that is a thought. Why? Because they've got some defensive ends who can play, not a Jackson, but they've got some defensive ends that have some experience. Kyle Moore's coming back. He ought to be a player. I think it's time that Gerald Washington steps up. You know, he came as a defensive end. He's big and strong. He's older. He's going to be a senior. He's got to step up and get on the playing field. He's yeah. been there too long. It's time for him to earn his keep. You know what I mean? Yeah, he played tight end a little bit, switched over, I think switched back. If you look at him, we put some pictures of him on the site. He is jacked. I mean, he definitely passes the eyeball test, though. I think people are going to – you know, anxious to see what he can do, you know, for this team. If he can come in and get some quality minutes and be part of that rotation at defensive end. He's got to do that. And I tell you, this Michael Reardon, this young freshman kid, I'll tell you, he is quick. He is quick, and I think he's going to be a great offense or a defensive end. He's got the build of a defensive end. He was an offensive tackle. He's got the speed, the quickness. He'll learn. I think he'll really mature. And then with the incoming I think three great defensive ends. I, I really believe uh, uh, Peck from Michigan, Horton from uh, the Valley, and Jackson from the Valley. I'll tell you, those guys are going to be great players. Now, they can play on natural ability as Griffin did last year. They don't have to, you know, play with the push of the inside tackles, which you need there. So I think if those guys come along, and if more comes along and, and, and some of these other returning players come along, I think the defense at USC will, will be good. But I think the number one area of rebuilding is in the defensive front, the, the four down guys. But backers, don't worry about backers. Secondary, man, they've got some secondary players that can play. I think they've got to build the defensive line, and I think this spring they've got to feed those guys some nails. Yeah, and it's Nick Perry, the kid out of Michigan. He looks really good. He actually, they stood him up at linebacker a little bit at the Army All-American Bowl, but it looks like he's going to come in and play defensive end. He had so many sacks his senior year, and uh, he's, he'll probably add some depth there and, and you know, really fight from the beginning to be part of that defensive line rotation. So, But you, you mentioned the linebackers. Let's look there. Um, Keith Rivers, obviously, a big loss. Uh, he's playing on that weak side, and, you know, he's projected as a top 10 pick by some people. So obviously that's not easy to replace. looks like Kaluka Maiava is going to come in and play for him. I'm not sure if Kaluka is going to be able to be 100% this spring. He had uh, wrist and thumb injuries. But, you know, he's looked good when he's filled in for Rivers in the past when he's been hurt. Um, Cushing and Malaluga obviously are back. They're, you know, they have a lot of experience coming back. And there was probably the deepest group last year. And they're going to add Chris Gallipo. And, 
even more talent this year. What do you think about that group? Well, I agree with you. I really think that uh, that is a great group. And uh, with Grippo coming back now, I think it's time for Luther Brown. I, I think it's time for Luther to earn his letter. I really do. I think it's time for him to step up. He hadn't had that many opportunities to play, but he's a big, physical, highly recruited player out of Lakewood High School. I think it's time for Luther Brown to step up. Is Clay Matthews back? Clay Matthews is back. He looks great. Well, he's, I'm going to tell you, I like amazing. Clay Matthews. Yeah. I like Clay Matthews. He plays different positions. That's right. He's back, too. So when you look at Cushing and Matthews, and it's Michael Morgan runs so well, the kid out of Texas. I tell you, those are three or four great backers right there on the strong side. Malaluga, I don't have to tell you about him. they got to work with him, and I'll tell you what I think the backers have got to work with. Luther Brown got to step up. Uh, Gallipo, he's, it's time for him to, to tell everybody why he was the most valuable player in the Army game and get out there and challenge these guys and get hit and hit somebody. That's what linebackers do. And I tell you, uh, on the uh, weak side linebacker where Rivers played, every single game that Rivers got hurt, this young kid came in that you mentioned, this young kid came in from Hawaii, and I tell you, he swarmed all over the field. If you check his tackles, he had eight, nine, ten tackles a game. He can run. He can hit. He's not a Rivers. He's not as big as a Rivers. But I tell you, he's a football player. And there's a difference in what a football player is or a guy that's playing football. And this kid loves football. I think he'd be a great one. Yeah, and one of the guys you mentioned, Michael Morgan, a lot of people have asked questions on the Peristyle, the premium message board on uscfootball.com. He's been in the system three years now, and he just hasn't added that extra beef. You know, he's still – a pretty you know thin kid. Do you, have you seen players like that come in where you expect after the freshman year we're going to put some weight on this kid and he's going to be unstoppable? And a guy like Michael Morgan, it hasn't really happened yet. No, it hasn't happened yet. But you know he's looked at who's he playing behind. He's looked at a lot of those players and he's saying, "Wow, I tell you, you know I can do everything and I'm not going to get on the field necessarily. Maybe be a special teams player, but he's got to grow up." He's got to grow up. He's got to see it's now his time. He was a highly recruited player, a great player. He'll grow up and got to mature and have a great spring practice. It's time for uh, Norton to have a talk with him. Sit him down and say, son, you came here to play football. You're a great football player. You know, we've got other great football players here. It's time you hit somebody. It's time you find out why you wear a face mask and why we recruited you to USC to win national championships and win championships with defense. And motivate him. I'm sure Coach Norton is doing that, and I'm sure Coach Carroll is doing that. And the kid has got to grow up. Some kids mature a little bit slower than others. He's a fine player. He's a great athlete, or he wouldn't have been recruited to USC. Yeah, so you got to bring him along. You got to mature him. You got to get him ready to play. You got to build confidence in him, and and give him an opportunity. And if you do that, then he sees that you care about him, and you really want him to be a part of the defense. Yeah, that, I mean that. He, you know, if he's there or not, it's going to be a really deep group. It's just you'd like to see a kid like that who was highly recruited and is such an athlete. You can tell just watching him run how you know how athletic he is and try to get a little more weight on him and uh, get him on the field a little bit more. But uh, let's just You're exactly over. right. Yeah, let's switch over to the secondary. Uh, they lose Terrell Thomas. Um, pretty much everyone else is back. Looks like Josh Pinkard's not going 100% in these offseason workouts yet, but he's running, running around a little bit. Uh, one of the guys that was hurt last year, uh, Kevin Thomas is back, and he's making all kinds of plays in these one-on-one drills and seven-on-seven. He's batting the ball down a lot, so he's a guy that could probably add some depth there. They do lose Vincent Joseph to grades. What do you think about the secondary group coming back as a whole? Well, I think as a whole, it's a great group. I really do. You know, last year, they had a great secondary group, but they had a lot of injuries in the secondary. This, in this, They were very unfortunate. Guys were getting hurt all the time and so on, and they had to move players around and start different people, and Wright got his shot. I really like Wright. Uh, I think he's going to be a great corner. Why? He loves to hit people. He loves to come up and make great support plays. Every game that Wright played in, he made what I call a bell ring. I mean, he would come up and smack somebody. He, was a he young had a player. huge one in Idaho, I think, on the little screen play or something. Just leveled that guy. Brian, you're right. And, and he, he, he is a very aggressive player. So I think he's going to mature add to that group. But when you look at that secondary group, you know, you've got Marshall Jones, too. I mean, he's a, he's a player that played last year, too, as a, as a freshman. Uh, he, he's a kid that's going to be a great player. Yeah, he's you've a great-looking kid, just, I mean, phenomenal athlete in great shape. You're right. And Allison is their better 
is there a better strong safety in this in the country? I don't know. Taylor Mays, Ellison. I mean, one two back there, free safety, strong favorite safety. Put Josh Pinkard in there. I'll tell you, Josh Pinkard might be the best athlete in the secondary. Yeah, Pete Carroll said that before cool. that he was the best football player on the team, and and for him to be out the last couple of years has really hurt them. Kevin, Kevin Ellison, you mentioned. Is he maybe the most underrated player on the team as far as the national recognition he gets for his being as phenomenal as he is? I think he is. I'll tell you what, whenever you watch these stunts or you see hits or whatever you see big plays or you see tackles, he's, he's around the football every down. He's always around the football, and he's making big hits and covering the field. I think Ellison is a, an outstanding player. So, you know, in the secondary, I, I think uh, Rocky Cito's going to have a great group to coach. I really do, and I think they're going to mature, and if they can just stay healthy. And how about uh, Kerry Harris? I mean, uh, uh, he had a lot of playing time on, on the start. So the secondary, as far as in the spring, I think what they've got to work on is techniques a lot. I think they've got to work on man techniques. They've got to work on their man coverage an awful lot. If you notice, towards the end of the year last year, they played zone early in the year when they went to man and they started blitzing a lot more. Uh, they became a little bit more successful defensively when they became more aggressive. But when you do that, you've got to work a lot on man technique. So I see them this spring working a lot on man technique, a lot of one-on-one coverage, a lot of coverages working against the, se- uh, sec- uh, the receivers. Because we said earlier last week when we talked about the offense, the receivers have got to get tougher. So what the defense can do is work against the receivers, smack them on the line of scrimmage, cover them man, and both sides of the football will get better. But the only way you can play man defense is practice man defense every single day. And man defense is the toughest defense to to run routes on if you're a receiver. So if you go against great cover guys and you're a receiver, you'll get better too. So I think that's something that, We'll probably see, if they're planning on running a lot of man uh, in the fall, you'll see a lot of more man work in practice. All right. All right. Well, hey, Coach, I think we're out of time for this segment, but thank you again for uh, your insights, le- learning more about football from the Godfather. Well, i tell you what, buddy, I really appreciate being a part of it, and I thank you for uh, allowing me to break it down with you here in the huddle. Yeah, and if anyone has questions for the coach, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk to Gerard Martinez a little bit about USC football recruiting. But thanks again for your time, Coach. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Peristyle Podcast with Ryan Abraham and the coach, Harvey Hyde. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. All right, Trojan fans, it's time to get up to speed with the recruiting blitz from Gerard Martinez. With eight of the Trojans' ten commitments rated in the Rivals 100, USC has half of their 2009 class already accounted for. Next month, Rivals.com will release its top 250 rankings. National recruiting analyst Jeremy Crabtree discusses the movers and shakers among the nation's top junior prospects. Love what he 
out here uh, for the top spot. But uh, if I'm looking at one guy that's USC-oriented in the top 100 that could move up, uh, I definitely look at Patrick Hall. He definitely uh, has the potential to be a, at least a candidate for that five-star status. And while camps and combines will further impact the recruiting rankings for next year's class, Crabtree doesn't see USC's strong start fading with further evaluation. There's a reason why USC does a tremendous job each year. It's because they're able to uh, handpick the top kids they want first and foremost in Los Angeles. And that's what they've done this year. You look at the kids that are uh, coming their way. You know, we've already talked about Matt Barkley. We've already talked about Patrick Hall. But this class is so, so deep. You know, Randall Carroll, his tape's incredible. We saw him at the five-star academy in Anaheim. Really like him then. We got the tape. And it just shows why USC offered him a scholarship. You just go down the list. I mean, uh, the, this group is very, very talented. The linebacker class already is going to rank up there as one of the best linebacker classes in the country. You know, Montez Burfitt, uh, just a tremendous impact linebacker. Then throw in Chris Metcalf, who could be an outside linebacker, maybe safety prospect. And then we already talk about Marcus Simmons. You know, Marcus Simmons, he is a very good player, maybe a lot better than the other brothers that have come, Simmons brothers that have come out the past couple years. Uh, everybody's pretty consistent on that uh, idea that he is better. And then we you know, look at Kevin Graff. I think Kevin Graff was a guy that we were very impressed with on film also. So I just keep looking at these guys. And I mean, gosh, I truly think that uh, there's going to be some guys that are still going to stay in that top 100 mode, but some other guys I think could uh, see some moving up. I don't see anybody really going down for anything like that at all. I mean, this is a very, very talented early group of Trojan commitments. One of the highest-rated Trojan targets in 2009 is Hawaiian linebacker Mante Teo. Currently ranked as the nation's number seven prospect, Teo received a written scholarship offer from USC last fall. That letter was followed by news that Pete Carroll would grant Teo's request to take a Mormon mission after his freshman year of college. In a recent interview, Manti recounted that episode of his recruitment. Well, to be honest, I was kind of shocked, but... When, the, when finally my dad got off the phone and he had a big smile on his face and I asked him what, was, what happened dad? and he said well Coach Carroll agreed to allow you to serve, serve your mission and hold your offer for you hold your scholarship for you I was like hey, are you kidding and he said like, no and then he told me the whole story and that's how I found out look for our complete interview with Tail Thursday Rounding out the week, USC sent scholarship offers to Lauder Hill, Florida cornerback Brandon McGee, Wheaton, Maryland safety Jelani Jenkins, and Helena, Arkansas defensive tackle Eric Smiley. With your recruiting blitz, I'm Gerard Martinez. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. You just heard the recruiting blitz from Gerard Martinez, and we are joined on the phone by the same Gerard Martinez. How are you doing today, Gerard? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Pretty good. Uh, you know, from the Blitz, sounds like uh, Jeremy Crabtree and yourself think that the, you get, the USC is putting together a uh, really good class. Um, one of the subjects you brought up was the Mormon missions, and I know you talked to Manti Teo last night, and you talked to uh, Xavier Sulafilo also before. Both of those guys are interested in missions. Has USC changed their policy on missions, and, and what do you think about that? Well, they have. Um, there was uh, a few kids that have come through that are Polynesian kids that wanted to take missions that uh, they they discouraged them from and I think at this point when you've got a when you've got a player this is good as Manti Tail and Xavier Suofilo is going to be right up there too he's going to be one of the top linemen in the country I think USC's you know they just kind of have to adjust it a little bit and that's what Pete Carroll does really well I think he adjusts he's flexible and maybe one of the differences one of the things that's kind of changed the policy is the amount of actual transfers that USC's had over the past few years i think they've kind of gotten used to bringing guys into the program and not necessarily having guys contribute right away and this is obviously a different situation because you have kids that are coming in their freshman year and then at age 19 they go away two years for their mission they don't get to pick where they go they could end up in calgary they could end up in finland they could end up in london but they go away some of them are allowed to train more than others i think that's kind of a case-by-case basis but it is uh, kind of a situation where they go away and then they come back and they contribute. So I think USC being able to bring in some of the transfers they had, obviously Mitch Mustaine, uh, Damian Williams, some of these guys that have come in and not contributed right away, I think it's maybe adjusted the thought process a little bit as to um, you know, the, the program and, and recruiting and, and how that affects recruiting down the line. But obviously it's a big difference between sitting out a year on the playing field and being able to train with team and, and work on the scout team 
to being in a third world country somewhere, who knows if you can even run or work out or do whatever. Exactly. No, it, it definitely is. So, I mean, there is a difference, but I think that the, the transfers maybe, I think the bigger impact is kind of what your, your future recruiting looks like. Um, you know, what are your need positions? Because you have guys that are away on missions for, you know, 24 months, 26 months, and they're not coming back in, until later. And you're thinking, well, you know, how does that affect uh, 2000, not 2010, but 2012. And with transfers, that's kind of a, a similar thing, too. You have to kind of look ahead, and, and you've got a kid who sat out a year, and he's redshirted, but maybe he's a really good player like Mitch Mustaine or Damian Williams. Well, those guys could be leaving uh, their junior year because now they have a redshirt year, um, or, their, or their redshirt sophomore year, I should say. Uh, so that way, I think it's kind of changed maybe um, the, the, the fluid motion of the recruiting process for USC and how they look at that down the line. Yeah, USC's recruited Polynesian kids obviously very well, but you know we were talking before. I can't think of a, a kid that took a mission during the PKL era. Is it? It's just guys that just decided they weren't going to do that, or, or how did that work? You know, I don't know. Wanakayenga, um, to my knowledge, will be the first player. Uh, to take a, a Mormon mission that I can remember, Pete Carroll, or even before that, um, it's just been a policy. Uh, you'd have to talk to the coaching staff in depth about why that policy has changed. Um, at this point, I'm not really sure of that. And actually, you know, it's funny talking to Manti. I assumed that Juan uh, Acabianga was going to be like the first um, player to actually take a Mormon mission. But it sounds like Manti may have been the guy who changed this policy himself um, and with his recruitment because it sounds like uh, Pete Carroll had uh, discussed this with his coaches and discussed it with his father and actually agreed um, that Manti Teo could take a more remission before he actually let Juan uh, Cavienga take a more remission. Obviously, Cavienga is coming in this year, so he will play this year, contribute this year, and then take a more remission first. But in terms of you know the pioneer of this, the guy who got this policy changed, or, or I should say the one who kind of uh, readjusted the thought process, was actually Manti Teo. All right. Well, so both those guys you mentioned, Manti Teo and uh, Sulafilo, are in your uh, 10 of Troy that came out this week. Um, Manti, I think, at number two, and Sulafilo is down at number five. Can you explain to the readers what is the 10 of Troy? Is this the top 10 guys that USC's after that, that aren't committed yet, or how does that work? No, the, the 10 of Troy is kind of, uh, I always put it as um, a, a little bit of insight into the zeitgeist, the, the current... Uh, topics that are hot, the guys that the, you know, the USC fans are talking about, um, it, it's broken down into basically three factors. Uh, the, the need position kids, uh, the kids that come in and they have interest in USC. I mean, obviously there's some great players out there that don't have interest in USC. Well, they don't make it. Um, but also the, the buzz factor. You know, who, who are Trojan fans talking about? Who's the, you know, that's why Russell Shepard got up there. Russell Shepard was always looked at as, as a moderate long shot, not a guy that was probably going to go to USC and sign with USC. But when he got his offer from Pete Carroll, it blew up the peristyle. I mean, everybody was talking about it. People were talking about, uh, you know, how does this change USC's recruitment with Matt Barkley? How does it change their philosophy offensively? Are they going to bring in a guy who's, you know, a running dual-threat quarterback? And then the disbelief that he would be brought in as a quarterback and, you know, he'd probably be an athlete, probably play receiver. So it was one of those situations where Russell Shepard, being a five-star guy, just caused a lot of excitement, even a little bit of controversy among a lot of posters, a lot of members. Yeah, we and talked about it last of... week on the podcast. You know, was he going to really come in and play quarterback? And, of course, Murphy's Law, the, the day, or maybe even just hours after you released the 10 of Troy. Yeah, it was the day of the 10 of Troy release. He commits to LSU, yes. which was great. <laughs> uh, that was awesome. Uh, but, but, hey, but, you know, that's what happens. It would, um, it's bing, bang, boom. And, but with, with, with that said, it doesn't change that, you know, Russell Shepard was still a very talked-about recruit. And even when he, uh, he committed to LSU, people were talking about, about him on the peristyle. So that's kind of what the 10 of Troy is. It, it's the hot board for USC. It, and it's a reflection more of what the fans are talking about than necessarily what USC is talking about or, or the recruits they have on their board. Uh, I think the target list that we put out monthly are a little more representative. Okay, so up at the top of your 10 of Troy is Devon Kanan. He's another great kid, out of a five-star guy out of Arizona. What makes him be the top of the 10 of Troy when USC brought in so many defensive linemen in the, the class of 2008? Well, for one, he's great. 
He's a great player. Uh, 24 and a half sacks as a junior. Um, just a spectacular kid. Uh, he's one of those kids that's still a kid. He's a really sweet, really nice kid. Um, and you see that potential for him to grow and to mature even more and become even a better player down the line. Some of these guys you talk to, it's almost like you're talking to your peers. You think you're talking to a 20, <laughs> 20-something-year-old guy, and you're thinking, wow, you know, how old is this kid? Well, with Devon, he's still a kid, and I think you still see there's a lot of potential, not even just athletically, but I think mentally and emotionally for him to mature and become even better. That excites a lot of people. Uh, secondly, he's a Western re- region recruit. Um, you've got to be able to lock down kids. Uh, that are local, that are in the Pac-10 region. USC has done a phenomenal job of that year in and year out. This would be a continuation of that. This is a five-star kid that's in your region. You've got to lock him down. And need being something else, you know, uh, pass rushers, especially weak side guys, they don't come along all that often. Nick Perry, obviously, last year was a huge get for USC. They needed him because they have no depth along the defensive end. Uh, position and Kennard comes in at that position as well and he's a guy that can get after the quarterback and that's a value position that's a money position you look at the NFL draft everybody's looking at that kid that can come off the edge everybody's talking about uh, Chris Long they're talking about um, Goldston that came out of uh, early from from Ohio, Ohio State, State. He Those, blew it up at the combine yeah, yeah. Exactly. Those, those are big time. That's becoming a money position because if you can sack the quarterback, you can really adjust what the offensive scheme is. And you're talking about the Pac-10, and Pac-10 passes a lot. You've got a lot of quarterbacks that can do a lot of damage to defenses. If you don't have a pass rush, you're going to get eaten up alive in this conference. So a guy that is like Devon Kennard, he helps your secondary. He helps everybody. And I think kind of the final thought on him being number one, you got Everson Griffin there, who's just a physical freak. We all see the potential that he has, you know, that kind of flash of brilliance. But he's also 270-plus pounds at this point. I don't necessarily – I think there's a possibility that kid can move into being a three technique down the line in his career. Now, I don't know if he's going to stay there until he's a senior. You know, Everson's got a lot of talent. He could be a junior uh, and then gone to the NFL. But if he grows much more, he could be a guy that's playing inside. And yeah, we, I just talked in the issue. last segment with Coach Harvey Hyde, and he mentioned the same thing, that, that you know, they, when they were moving around the guys on the defensive line – he could see, you know, he's not saying that's going to happen, but he could definitely see Griffin go inside and kind of play that role that Cedric Ellis did. Exactly. And that's, you know, I mean, he, he's really could be a spectacular three technique with his agility and, and his speed and quickness upfield. So that's, uh, you know, that, that comes into play. And when you're recruiting, you got to think of those things. They're in the back of your head, and you want to be able to make sure that you have some backups. You have some guys that can contribute early. Uh, Devon Kennard is one of those kids. And he's a kid with NFL bloodlines as well. So he's just across the board. Uh, I think he and Tao as well. It's almost one and one A. Uh, you know, Tao comes in at a, a, a more neat position, uh, if you will, because of the linebackers. He would be come in and contribute even more. But, you know, that's where the mission kind of question comes in. Hey, he comes in as freshman, and then he's going to leave. And so, you know, how does that uh, impact uh, the whole recruiting process and, and how he contributes to USC down the line if he signs there? So both of these guys, um, regional recruits, very talented, very important to USC. All right, one other guy that I thought was really interesting on the uh, 10 of Troy, he comes in at number 10, uh, Mr. Wood, the running back out of Oxnard. It, I'm wondering when this tailback hangover I guess you could call it is going to end for USC they had so many guys you couldn't recruit really anyone that's going to be a every down five-star tailback for the class of 2008 are they going to be able to for the class of 2009 or are they still going to be have their hands tied pretty much because of all the talent they have on the roster well it's, it's not not a bad hangover to have when you've got you know Joe McKnight and CJ Gable and Alan Bradford and You've got five-star guys who are not even seeing the field. Oh, yeah. Um, last year, yeah, Daryl Scott, that made it tough for them to recruit uh, him as a five-star guy, a local guy. Uh, but I think even Scott kind of looked at the situation and, and was looking to become his own man, kind of be the marquee player in a class, and, and Colorado fit him perfectly. Uh, with this year with Wood, Wood's a little different because – you know, I'm not convinced that he is an every down back. Uh, he, he's got the size, but I think he plays better as a guy that comes in and, and really can catch the ball well on the slot. He kind of does a lot of things really well, but I'm not sure that he does one thing great. And that's maybe the knock, if there is a knock on him. He ran for 2,600 yards last year, 42 touchdowns. Those are amazing numbers, but you're looking at how he fits in 
What does he do? Is he dynamic? And you look at USC and, and the way they've recruited their running backs in the past few years, they have guys that seem to do certain things. You know, you've got Broderick Green. He's a monster. He's a power back. He's going to pound it. You've got Joe McKnight. He's the slot guy. He comes out. He could be split wide. He does things in open space. He's the speed guy. They always seem to kind of go in that direction. And when they need tailbacks, they recruit a bunch of them, and they get a bunch of good ones. So it's kind of hard. I, I, I think Wood is a guy that they can pass on. I mean, I don't know if they're going to. They offered him already, and, they're, and they are recruiting him. But I don't know if he's the guy that they have to get. Um, you know, uh, Daryl Scott kind of in the same situation. Because when you look ahead, 2010, they got a kid uh, out of San Diego, Mission Bay High School, uh, 5'11", 190 pounds, named uh, Baxter, Dylan, uh, excuse me, Dylan Baxter. And, and Dylan Baxter is just, I mean, he's a phenom. He's a guy that's been starting since his freshman year. He was All-State his freshman year. So, that's a guy that's kind of got that already that that aura about him that that hype that's coming out because he started early in high school and he's gone on. They've also got a kid named DJ Morgan from Taft who's already a, a world class sprinter. I mean, he was at one of the camps at USC last year and he came out ran a you know something like a four four flat um, as a as a as a two B sophomore, which is kind of crazy to think about. And then he was going to fly out to Chicago for some kind of youth track meet. It was like a world track meet. Uh, for for all the, the the junior nationals, so that's that's a kid with I mean legit track speed that's going to be coming out next year. When you look at it, you're going well, Baxter. Maybe he's that combo back. Maybe he's that guy like Mark Tyler. And then you look at DJ Morgan, and maybe DJ Morgan's that speed guy like uh, Joe McKnight. And then all of a sudden, hey, the cycle, you know, it, it revolves. It's like okay, now they got they're going to lose these guys, Joe McKnight and these guys. Well, there's another crop coming around. So that's and all of a sudden you have, you're, all of a sudden you have ten scholarship tailbacks again. So. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what they want. Who, who's, that's a great problem to have. Ten guy, ten five-star guys on the on the roster at one position. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, finish up the segment with uh, give us an update on some of the the new offers that uh, Pete Carroll sent out. And if can you give the the fans at home a little insight onto what why are so many offers coming out around this time when there's really not much football going on. Well, the evaluation period has is, is continued to change. Um, I think the NCAA has kind of put an all-out assault on it, if you will. <laughs> I mean, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, a couple weeks ago about Pete Carroll. He was a little upset, a little frustrated with not being able to go on to high school campuses for the May evaluation period. No high, uh, no uh, college head coaches can go on campus anymore and do personal evaluations of, of high school talent. It's changing. The game is changing. Schools are recruiting earlier and earlier. Offers are going out earlier and earlier. So now that's why you see so many more out-of-state offers and in-state offers and so many more commitments before we even get to the May evaluation period. So that's pretty much the answer to that. Um, the guys that they've given out some offers to this week, uh, they've offered uh, Jelani Jenkins, who's uh, from Wheaton, Maryland, uh, about a six foot, 205-pound, looks like a safety. He plays linebacker in, in high school. He's a fast kid. He's very explosive, gets to the point of contact very well, um, but he probably projects more as a strong safety uh, in college. Uh, they've offered him. They also sent an offer out to uh, Eric Smiley, who's a big 6'5", 280-pound defensive tackle uh, from Helena, Arkansas. Now, he was actually originally from Seattle, went to Arkansas, and there was talk that he moved back to Seattle. That's kind of confusing still. I'm not really sure if he's in, in living in Arkansas at this point or if he's back in Seattle, um, but he's a big body big kid they, they just sent an offer out to him um, and then last but not least Brandon McGee got an offer he's uh, from Lauder Hill Florida he plays quarterback kind of an athlete we saw him down at the San Antonio uh, National Junior Combine where he was playing quarterback but he also ran a 4-5-1 electronically on a very slow turf and that yeah, he had one of the fastest right times away. I think there right Yes, he had one of the fastest times there. He's about 5'11 and a half, so he's got great, great size, got long arms, uh, and he's a kid that approached us down here and said, "Hey, you know, I like USC. <laughs> I have a little bit, you know, a, a little bit interest in USC. Uh, you know, do a story on uh, on me." So uh, we actually did a story a couple weeks ago, and it was Zach, I think, called him up and and talked to him a little bit. Talked about how much he liked USC and how you know he, he would be interested in hearing more from him and taking a visit, and uh, it obviously uh, piqued the interest of SC and they got in contact with him and obviously liked him enough 
to offer him a scholarship today. So, you know, he's a kid that is going to probably project at the corner uh, position. And some schools say that he can play safety. I like him a little more as a corner. I think he's explosive. And like I said, he's got good height. And when you get a guy who's running a 4 5 one, he's got good height. Hey, that's, that sounds like a Pete Carroll cornerback to me. So. And so what you're saying is the coaches read the site. That's good news for us, I guess. It is. And, and you know, that's just the way it's got to be, though. Uh, you know, they, everybody's got to be in tune to the information. It's recruiting, and it comes out so fast. There's so much going on. Um, it's, it's daily. You know, it's not something that you just get updated weekly. It's something that happens every day. There's new offers that go out to kids, and their mind changes that quickly. You know, they get an LSU offer. You know, there's a kid that you're recruiting that gets an LSU offer. All of a sudden, wow, he's all happy about LSU, national champions. That's the way it goes. You've got to be on it day by day, and that's what we do at the site. All right. Well, Gerard, great job as always. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. I appreciate it. Uh, anytime, guys. All right. We're going to take a break, and uh, next up we have a new segment, the USC Campus Crawl. We're going to talk about some of the other sports besides football around USC, and I'll also give you an interview I did on Tuesday with another tailback on the, in this big rotation, Broderick Green. So thanks again, we'll see you on the other side of the break. Stay tuned for more of the Parastyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. And now, welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and it's time for the USC Campus Crawl, a new segment on the show. Uh, first, we're going to start with men's basketball. Uh, they had a tough weekend going one and one in the desert. It was a really nice win they had over Arizona, but lost to ASU in a game that had some pretty huge foul discrepancies. Uh, Tim Floyd was pretty upset, and he actually filed a complaint with the Pac-10. But they can't worry about those games. They have to look forward. They play Cal Thursday, March 6th followed by number seven Stanford on Saturday, March 8th. Against California, they want to try and get some revenge for uh, the loss they had up in Berkeley. They put it to them last time they played in Palo Alto, holding them to 46 points. So Tim Floyd's going to try and have to generate a little bit more offense against the, the Lopez twins there. Trojans have won nine out of their last 13, and they're currently sitting number four in the Pac-10. They have an excellent shot of getting to the NCAA men's tournament, probably somewhere around in the seven seed range right now. Uh, women's water polo, they're currently ranked number four, and they just come off wins over LMU and Cal State Northridge uh, at home, and their home winning streak now is at 42 games. Uh, they do go on the road this weekend playing number three Cal and Pacific up north in Berkeley and Stockton, respectively. Uh, so far, they've split the season series with Cal, who's currently ranked number three, and as the Trojans ranked number four, obviously, it's a very important game, important match there. Uh, for men's baseball, they started out really strong, going 3-0 and to, to start the season on the road in Florida. But right now, they're sitting at just 5-4 and four after a couple straight losses to UCLA and then Pepperdine on the road. So they have one more game against Pepperdine Wednesday night. Then they have to go to Rock Hill, South Carolina for three games versus Winthrop. Women's tennis ranked all the way up to number seven, and they host the Washington schools this weekend. Both of those schools are ranked in the 30s somewhere. So... Women of Troy should be favored. Uh, they almost had a sweep up in the Bay Area. They, they had a nice upset of number eight Cal, but then lost narrowly to number six Stanford, four to three. If they would have been able to beat Stanford, that would have ended a 47-match losing streak to the Cardinals. So it's a really rough loss for the women of Troy, but they're doing well so far. The men's volleyball team is currently ranked number eighth. Well, I'm not sure why, because they're nine and nine overall and only six and seven in the Mountain Pacific Sports Federation. But they do play Lewis. Uh, on Wednesday at the Galen Center. Then they have to go up to Cal State Northridge and take on the number three Cal State Northridge team on Friday. So if you have any questions, you can always email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Right now we're going to play a little interview we did with 
tailback Broderick Green. He's a redshirt freshman, a big guy. A lot of people had questions on the message boards about him. He said he told me he was about to 235 right now. Probably will try to play somewhere between 225 and 235. Some people have speculated that he would end up trying to play fullback. Uh, he told me that definitely was not the case. Okay, we're here with uh, tailback Broderick Green. How's everything going today with these workouts? Uh, it's pretty good. You know, it's fun getting back into it. What do you think of uh, the, the tailback rotation this year? I mean, you, you were redshirted last year. Yeah. What, are your, what are your goals trying to get in there, breaking in there? I mean, trying to be in that big back? Yeah, I'm just, you know, working hard, you know, trying to learn all my stuff, you know, getting help from the guys and, you know, trying to help them too, you know, and just trying to all come together, you know, as one. And uh, I'm trying to get in the mix this year. What's the hardest part of learning to play tailback? Um, I say the blocking schemes, but the running stuff is easy. You know, a lot of it's easy. It's just, you know, you got to take time and look at it. Do the coaches look at blocking as, a, as an important factor that could be if, if two guys have a similar running style, they run, if one guy blocks better, they're going to get more playing time? Uh, I'm not sure because, you know, they look at everything. You know, they don't just look at how you block and how you run. You know, they look at the whole package, so... You know what I'm saying? It's all about competition and, you know, how well you do. So, How are you feeling after the Carlisle workouts from this winter, and what are you up to weight-wise? Oh, I'm good. Uh, I know for a minute I, I struggled. I was last in a lot of the sprints, and, you know, I just felt so sloppy from being off, you know, for so long in a boot and, you know, coming back. But uh, I know my weight, I was up to 240 for a minute, but uh, I'm down to 235, and I'm just trying to get back in shape by spring. You get to go back home at all? You miss you miss being back there, back home in Arkansas? Um, yeah. When do you get to go back home? I don't really know. I've been trying to think, you know, pretty soon. Probably spring break. Is it nice having guys like Damian and Mitch here that are from the same state? Or? Yeah, it's cool. I like it. Do you guys get together out, out, off the field and stuff? Uh, sometimes, you know, whenever we don't have tutoring or anything like that, so... Now, one of the uh, positions that doesn't have a lot of depth, tailback does, fullback doesn't. Do they ever talk to you about uh, getting some snaps at fullback? Maybe not full-time, but just playing there at all? Nah. Uh, I told them I want to be 100% running back. So size doesn't mean a thing. I can show them. <laughs> so you got eight guys at tailback and, and, and one one scholarship guy at fullback, essentially. It doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter. You've been listening to the Parastyle Podcast, presented by USCFootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod. Just search for Parastyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.